So tonight we're going to talk about praying in crisis, but I kind of have to introduce it a little bit by talking about the the startling statement that Jesus makes um, when he tells us about prayer and fasting and giving. He says, and when you pray, when you pray, it's not if you pray, it's when you pray. And so he assumes that we give, he assumes that we fast, and he assumes that we pray. It's the holy assumption. Uh, so his, it, the, the way the grammar is in that, in that verse is that uh, when you pray and keep praying, when you give and keep giving, it's a it's a conditional or a, or a, a continuing uh, grammar in the in the construction there. So when you pray and keep on praying, don't pray like the hypocrites. He says, don't use empty words. Uh, the the word empty there can also translate vain. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Um, sometimes we think that commandment is just about cussing but it's about the an empty use of god's name um the acronym that the kids are using omg that's an empty use of god's name it's it's taking his name in vain because it's empty it's meaningless it it's worthless and so he says don't let your prayers be empty and worthless and and i can think of a dozen ways that i pray in ways that aren't sincere. Um, somebody sneezes, God bless you. Right. Well, that's a prayer in a way, but, but am I, am I really saying God bless you? Am I, am I, is, is it a throwaway? Uh, when, when I pray over a meal, am I really thanking God for the provision of that food? Um, when I, you know, we used to say that, that Baptists are, are famously good at prayer as punctuation. We can start and end a meeting with prayer with the best of us. And, I, and I've heard, even in this room, somebody pray us out. <laughs> what does that mean? And, and, and yet here, Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. When you pray, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Uh, Matthew 5, I think. Matthew 6, 5. Sorry. I'll be in Philippians in just a minute. This is the deep dive. I, I don't... I don't have to be quite as economic as I do in the uh, on Sunday morning. That more clear. Matthew six, chapter five. Matthew six. Matthew six, verse five. So this is in, of course, the the scripture we call the Sermon on the Mount, and he gave the disciples a whole lot of, but in this particular one, the holy assumption about giving, praying, and uh, fasting. Um, so the assumption of prayer is that it is a daily practice 
which is a discipleship habit. The assumption of prayer is that it's a daily practice, which is a discipleship habit. Um, it's a privilege, it's a habit, it's a conversation. Too often, it's a one-way conversation. And uh, so what we're talking about tonight and through this whole series is prayer as a spiritual discipline, prayer as a, uh, as a um, um, uh, like training, being in training as an athlete or a musician, that, that there are things that we do to develop some muscle memory so that that becomes uh, a part of our discipleship and our growth. All right. Um, give you a quote that I'll give you again on Sunday. H.B. Charles uh, said, prayer is to the soul what oxygen is to the body. Show me a person who does not pray. I'll show you a person who's spiritually dead. Righteous people pray. And so we don't completely know how to pray. And that's the point of the scripture. Jesus is is teaching us some finer points in prayer. And the stories that we're going to be looking at uh, sort of uh, uh, zero in on some specific types of prayer that tend to be throwaway prayers if we let them. And one is a prayer in crisis. So let's talk about praying in crisis. Give me examples of crises that you have been through. I said in a sermon not too long ago, one thing that's true is that you're either coming out of crisis, you're in the middle of a crisis, or you're about to be in a crisis. And uh, that, that sort of goes with the territory of being human. Uh, how do we pray in crisis? Help me, God. You online, Taylor said that a lot of times prayer in crisis is a negotiation. <laughs> Transaction. <laughs> yeah. If you will, then I will. All right. Um, what else? I think we really mean it. Tell me what you mean, Bob. Uh, I don't think it's frivolous. If we pray in crisis, it's uh, it's something that we are, our mind and spirit is uh, is awake, and uh, we're expecting God to hear that. We we believe that God's hearing it. It isn't just uh, if we'd ask five minutes from then, what do you pray? We'd, we'd remember. Yeah. A crisis prayer is a lot less likely to be the empty, vain prayer that sometimes gets uh, thrown out for supper or for, you know, God bless us on this trip. God, God bless us as we do this. God bless us as we do that. In crisis, we tend to be a lot more focused with our words and our attention. It's a surrender. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like in the times I've been in crisis, I 100% rely on God and God alone. It's the, I mean, the heartfelt, 
God, you know, you're in releasing control. Are there ever things we do before we finally get to prayer in crisis? I want to build on what you said, Sheila, and your the key word is control, right? Are, are there things that we normally do when we're confronted with a crisis before we... Yeah, it depends on if you cause a crisis, if you want to know here. Yeah, or just, you know, you, you're going along being righteous and God just put the challenge here for you, or... You, you were off, you, you know, you hadn't been around the Bible, right? You called that Christ. I right. think two different conversations. So Greg says there's maybe two different conversations, one when we cause the crisis and one when the crisis just kind of comes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I started going through my head. Um, often when I'm faced with a crisis, my first response is to try to fix it. Yep. Sure. You're self-reliant. Right. I, I, I've got to I got to figure out a, a remedy here. Um, another th thing that I do in a crisis is just damage control. Right. I just accept that that something bad is happening and there's going to be a certain collateral damage and, and I need to to limit the damage. Um, what's another thing we do in crisis? I need an honest person here. Blame, blame yeah, somebody else. Point the finger. Yep. We blame somebody. We fix it. We solve it. We blame somebody. Or one of my wife's favorite phrases, we borrow trouble. <laughs> it, the, the crisis is going to mean this is going to happen. Oh, no, this is going to happen. Oh, no, this is going to happen. Oh, this is going to happen. And we're so far down the road. We, we've gone from I've got a plumbing leak to a nuclear holocaust. And, and it's like, we just get there that quickly when it feels like what the scripture teaches us in crisis is to pray. Now I'm in Philippians chapter four, oh. verses six and seven. So what Paul said to us in a letter that ironically was not so much about crisis. Uh, Philippians is a, is a thank you letter for a, a love gift that the church collected for the struggling church in Jerusalem. And so Paul is not directly addressing a crisis that they're in. He's closing out his letter by saying, and oh yeah, be anxious for nothing. In other words, in crisis even, don't lead with anxiety. And we're going, easy for you to say. <laughs> That's easy for you to say. I want to fix it. I want to solve it. I want to blame somebody. I want to borrow trouble. What do you mean? Don't be anxious. Just declare that you're not going to have anxiety. But look what he says. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving now that's a pretty nuanced phrase prayer is the conversation with god but it can be worship it can be confession uh now he says supplication which is a a word that gets pretty close to our word intercession it's a it's a word that that says i, I i'm asking you for something i i am uh transferring the pain of this 
crisis from me to you, supplication, in prayer and supplication, but with thanksgiving, but with gratitude, with the acknowledgement, and I'm going to go ahead and bury my lead in the story of Peter trying to walk on water, Jesus doesn't give him safety, he gives him himself. Jesus doesn't pull Peter out of the water. He just offers his hand. And we, we, don't, we don't get anywhere in the scripture that Peter walked on water. We just know that Jesus pulled him out of the mess. We don't know what that means. But with thanksgiving means that, Sheila, in your words, when we relinquish control, we don't say, God, the right answer to my prayer is this outcome. The right answer to my prayer is that you fix it because I couldn't and I, I need you to fix it in a certain way. Be anxious for nothing. Instead, pray about everything. And with prayer, with supplication, and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's an interesting phrase. Why? Are we revealing our request to God? He knows it already. Yeah. He already knows what we need. He already knows what we need. And so it's uh it's it's very nuanced, but but it sets the stage for us that it feels to me, or it felt to me like when I was studying this, that my major hurdle in Letting go, letting control go in crisis is that I've got to trust God. And to trust God, I've got to know God. And to know God, I've got to quit compartmentalizing him as I'm going to go to God for these things, but I'm going to fix these things on my own. I'm going to, I'm going to pray about these things, but God, these are just little things over here. I'm going to go ahead and handle those. And it's almost like we have to understand the character of God. And it's so difficult because so many people have had uh, experiences with people who were supposed to love them that weren't trustworthy. They've had a, a bad experience with a father, a bad experience with a a husband, a bad experience with a, a wife, a bad experience with a child, some experience with somebody, I'm going to love you unconditionally and be loved by you unconditionally. And our humanness has tainted our ability to love with abandon, to trust with abandon. Um, we used to laugh about the stage in the church because there's something automatic about that stage that makes little kids want to jump off of it. <laughs> and our stage is a little taller, right? And, and yet almost a lot, uh, not every week, but lots of weeks, I would stay around in the worship center after church and see little kids jumping off the stage into their father's arms. 
just, just <clears throat> it's a game that they started. And all of a sudden with abandon, they run from the back of the stage <laughs> and just launch. <clears throat> and I, I, and I'm going, that's, that's such an incredible display of kind of what prayer in crisis is supposed to be. It's an abandon to the promises that God is going to catch us. Now, again, we don't relinquish control if we only allow God one outcome. And I, I'm, I'm praying for Dennis Warner, uh, but medically, he doesn't have hope of life much longer on this earth. So is my only prayer for healing for Dennis, and 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 if you even if he was much younger and didn't have the predictability of a cancer diagnosis, is my only option for God that he, he heals somebody like I want him to be healed, or that the job works out like I want it to work out, or that the offering comes in like I want it to come in. Is, is there a yes in there? Is there a, is there a sign that God is at work? And I, you know, the old cliche is yes, no, and wait are the three answers that we know to prayer. But I, I really think it's more complicated than that. I think sometimes what I think is a no is actually a yes. When Garth Brooks had said, sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Not to compare the scripture to a country song, but still. It's like um, the gap hearts. It's everything that um, Steve said. The young man that died recently. Um, I was talking to his mother the other day, and the day he got that night, he got the phone call. She just fell on her knees and said, God, I gave my son to you several years ago. I relinquished control to you. Now I accept whatever your choice is, whether he lives or dies says you lord yeah and he was healed just not the way we thought it should be i wrote it this way the first hurdle when we pray in crisis is to believe that god is who he says he is and that he cares enough to act on our behalf to present requests to god is to let them go. To present something to anybody is to let it go. Now, we, we all have the Christmas scene where we give somebody a gift and we spend the next hour telling them how we think they should use it. <laughs> but, but to present a request, let your requests be made known to God. Let God have those requests. And it occurred to me that maybe I needed to do a little backstory. Maybe I needed to do a little homework on how much it is that we trust him based on his character. So. Knowing, knowing though, that, I mean, you, his peace, God's peace to, you know, like you're, you're praying for someone mm -hmm. that, the miracle happens and it doesn't happen, but then whose you, miracle doesn't happen? That's true. That's <laughs> his piece is different than our piece. My miracle doesn't happen, but I don't know what miracle God had in mind. 
Um, this was in, a, in an article. The real reason why letting go and letting God take control can be difficult is because we don't fully know the character of God. If we truly believed that God was good, believed from the bottom of our hearts that the character of God was selfless and had only our best interests in mind, why would we not be giving up control? Why wouldn't we always run towards him for safety and help if we could claim that we really knew him? And why wouldn't we be letting go and letting God take control if we actually truly knew him and believed that he was who he said he is? That drove me to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. All of you, almost all of you know Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I much prefer the New American Standard translation of that verse that says, cease striving and know that I am God. Cease striving and know that I am God. But let's work our way towards that. First line in Psalm 46. Well, let me give you a little historical context because it's Wednesday night and we can. Psalm 46 was written by a son of Korah. Ironically, Korah, the ancestor here, was one of the ones that the earth opened up and swallowed them uh, during the Exodus. But the sons of Korah, the descendants of Korah, became musicians in the court of David. And they wrote many of the Psalms. Um, there are four of them in a row. This is the fourth of the four sons, Psalms by the sons of Korah. Um, in the Hebrew Bible, 42 and 43 are combined. Uh, so 42, 43, uh, 45, 46, 40. 344, 45, 46. And um, this particular psalm was probably written about 700 BC. And it was written at a time when the Assyrians had already conquered the northern kingdom and they were assembling to attack Jerusalem. The leader of the Assyrians was a guy named Sennacherib, and he was a nasty man, and he had assembled his army and was beginning to build siege works around the city of Jerusalem. Now, the city of Jerusalem has no natural river in it. There's no river that runs through, so there's the, the only water source are the springs that are inside the city. And if you've ever been to the Holy Land or heard of Hezekiah's tunnel, Hezekiah was the, the king of, uh, of Judah and he had craftsmen, lay people, dig a tunnel from the Gihon Spring under the city wall into Jerusalem. You can still climb through Hezekiah's tunnel today. Oh, 
there was an inscription that's now in um, actually a Muslim museum uh, that talks about the the work that they they hewed it with axes. And so Hezekiah's tunnel was what this is about. And so with the Assyrians, by the way, where is Assyria? Just geography for fun and games. What do we call that today? The Middle East. Is that the Babylon? Iraq. Yeah. Yeah. The, the capital city of, Nin, of uh, Assyria was Nineveh. Yeah. And today, Nineveh is called Mosul. And so the capital city of Assyria was Nineveh. That's where Jonah was sent. Uh, we'll study him this summer. But uh, so the Assyrians had swept down from the northwest, northeast, moving southwest towards Jerusalem. They'd sort of circled around through modern-day Jordan, and now they were approaching Jerusalem. And Hezekiah uh, led the people, the sons of Korah wrote a psalm, and this is what they celebrated. God is our refuge and our strength. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Martin Luther wrote a song about it. A mighty fortress is our God. <laughs> That's, that comes from this phrase in Psalm 46. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. So earthquake language, perhaps the siege ramps being built. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, now the, the psalmists, the, the sons of Korah, are, are sort of borrowing trouble a little bit. They're, they're moving towards a, a cosmic catastrophe language. Uh, if the mountains exchange places with the sea, if the, the Assyrians attack us, if they overwhelm us, then he uses that, the allegory of the sea, though the seas... Uh, roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. He says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. He said, there's, there's fresh water for us. There's, there's hope for us. The holy habitation of the Most High. Wasn't talking about a river. Wasn't even talking about Hezekiah's tunnel. He said, God is going to protect us in crisis. And, you know, it's almost as if they said, it's bad enough that the Assyrians are attacking us. But what if it was just total catastrophe? What if this pandemic, what if the uh, unrest, what if uh, an invading army, what if it's, it's like the Ukraine is looking at their borders and the Russian army is assembled there? What if they, what if they do what the Russian army can do? The psalmist says, okay, we've still got God. What if my relationships crumble? What if my job falls apart? What if my home life, what if there's death? What if there's sickness? What if there's unimaginable pain? He says, there is a river that runs through the middle of this city. And it is God. 
He says, if we knew him, we'd trust him. But there, but there's army is out there. If we knew him, we'd trust him. But I lost my job. If we knew him, we'd trust him. And so the psalmist is trying to help us understand that a prayer in crisis is a sort of a test of faith as to how much we're going to trust God. And how can we trust him if we don't know him? And how can we know him unless we experience him, unless we read about it? And so the psalmist goes on. He says, God is in the midst of her, the holy city. He, so, so the city will not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. Write a little, just a note there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to Isaiah 36 and, and show you something. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help when the morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. Whenever Lord is capitalized like that, it's the personal one, Yahweh. The same one that Peter is going to use the Greek version of it in Matthew 14. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord. He has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I'm God. Cease striving. Stop being so busy. Alan, stop trying to fix it. Stop trying to control it. Just know that I am God. Little bonus coverage. Isaiah chapter 36. <clears throat> this is the story of that attack. Isaiah 36, Sennacherib is invading Judah. And there's a lot of smack talk, mocking that goes back and forth. Um, Hezekiah, the king, seeks the help of the prophet Isaiah in uh, Isaiah 37. And then in Isaiah 37, uh, 21, starting there, it speaks of Hezekiah's victory over the insurmountable force. You remember I said the, the poem said that, that the help comes as the morning dawns? Chapter 37, verse 36. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people rose early in the morning, behold, there were all these dead bodies. So the psalmist said help will come in the morning and help came in the morning. It doesn't always get answered the way we thought. And, and there's no way that Hezekiah ever said, God, would you just send a death angel and sweep it over the enemy army? And he, he, he didn't have enough faith to pray that prayer because it was something that only God could do. He just prayed, Lord, help. And he sent for a prophet. He said, I don't even have enough faith to pray. And so Isaiah, would you help me? Would you, would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? Prayer in crisis is to say, I, I don't 
want to prescribe the answer. I just need you to give it to me. I just need you to to help me, to be with me, to present yourself to me. I want to know you more. I want to come to you with no agenda. In crisis, Bob, you said it a minute ago, in crisis, we tend to be much more focused and much more clear in our prayers. All right. Go over to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Did you say that this was um, when the Assyrians were um, all killed and found all the bodies? So that was around 700 700 BC, approximately? Yeah. Um, Assyria never succeeded in conquering Jerusalem because of this. Assyria retreated back to Nineveh and the Babylonians came, the Babylonians were south of Assyria. So uh, Iraq is the Assyria, Iran is Babylonians. They were all east of the Holy Land, what we call the Middle East or Israel today. And so Iran was south and Iraq was sort of north. And uh, uh, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Babylon was the capital of the Babylonian Empire. All right. So let's talk about a real prayer in crisis. I did a, a sermon one time on Matthew chapter 14. And I called it Jesus and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Because if you start in Matthew 14, chapter verse one, that's where his day begins. And he hears about the senseless death of his cousin. And if you look all the way down into uh, Matthew 14, verse 13, When Jesus heard this, he withdrew in a boat to a desolate place by himself. His response to crisis was to pray. His response to crisis was to pray. However, when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. So when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them and healed their sick. Verse 15, and now when it was evening, okay, same day, it's evening. So now he spent all day teaching the crowds, and it's evening, and he says to the disciples, send them away, or the disciples wanted to send them away. Jesus said, they don't need to go away, give them something to eat. So now we have the feeding of the 5,000. Same day, evening, feeding all these people. He, when they all ate and were satisfied, they took up 12 uh, baskets full of the broken pieces. And those who ate were about 5,000 men uh, besides women and children. Next verse. Immediately, same day. He made the disciples get in a boat, go before him to the other side 
while he dismissed the crowds. After he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Now, that's the second time we've seen when evening came, but we don't really have a sense in the text that it's not the same evening as before. Um, uh, when it was evening and then evening came. Like so getting later in the day. So now it's getting later in the night. So when he evening came, he was there alone. But the boat with the disciples in it was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against him. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So Jesus prayed for quite a while. The disciples were headed out. I, I heard something today I had not heard before. In your translation of the scripture, verse 24, but the boat was a long way from the land. Your, uh, your scripture might have it in terms of stadia. Uh, it's a mini stadia from the land. It's uh, it's it's um, it, it's only the lake is only four miles wide. So Sea of Galilee is only four miles wide. It's eight miles long, four miles wide. It's just not a very big lake. And so they had rowed this countless times. Rowing four miles with these guys was not a big deal. So, so you might say they were kind of foolish to go out at night. Well, they, they knew the lake like the back of their hand. And so wasn't a big deal. But this particular storm was different. And one of the translations or the word that's used for the word beaten there is the word tormented, which is the same word that was used for demonic oppression earlier in Matthew's gospel. And, and one writer suggested that maybe Satan was throwing a little something at him, that, that this was an unusual storm. They were, they were, their boat was beaten by the waves. It was tormented by the waves. There was, there was something different about this storm that even these veteran fishermen were a little freaked out about it. It was a real crisis. So we go from Jesus trying to model for them that what we do in crisis is we pray. What we do in crisis is that we take it before the Father. What we do in crisis is we, we speak to him. He tried twice to get away. Once wasn't successful. The second time he went on the mountain to pray. The disciples went ahead in a boat. Nobody bothered to ask him, how are you going to get there? I don't know if he would have said, I'll walk. <laughs> I got this, but the, the scripture tells us that, and this is really where I, I see so much here that when crisis arrives, this is, it's not only a, a question of whether we know the God we're praying to, it's whether we will pray to him and him alone. So he came to them walking on the sea <laughs> when the disciples saw him walking on the sea 
They were terrified. I'll give them a pass for that. <laughs> they said it's a ghost. Yeah. But Jesus said, no, it's me. Uh, the, the Greek there is ego I may. It, it is I. It is I. And and that that's a phrase that's used a lot in scripture. We'll we'll see it other places. Ego I may. It's, it's me. It's I. I am is the other way to say it. So Peter said, <laughs> Lord, and the Lord there is the Greek translation of the Hebrew for Yahweh. So it's it's a personal Lord. It's it's not a, a worship Lord. It's not a, a God of the sky word. It's a personal Lord. If it is you, and, and the translation there is unfortunate because if is not a good word, since it is you is, is the better translation there. Since it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So Peter's, he's in the right ballpark. He calls him Lord, personal, affirming that he is, we would say later, the son of God. Lord, since it's you and you're walking on the water and you said I could do the things you do, I want to walk on water. Now, it's probably fair to ascribe some motivations to Peter that may or may not be true, it's, it, but it's fair. It's, it's consistent with his character, impetuous, you know, ready, fire, aim. <laughs> It, it, that's that's like him and so hey that looks like a good time <laughs> let me walk on the water i don't know what he was expecting jesus to say you know when we pray in crisis what what is it that we're really expecting you know there's an old joke about a a pastor who went into a hospital room and lady was hooked up to oxygen and wires and sensors and and, and he, he was being very pastoral. He put his hand on her and he said, Lord, would you heal her? Immediately, she sat up in bed, ripped the oxygen mask off, pulled all the wires off, ran down the hall going, hallelujah, I'm healed. Says the pastor looked up and said, don't you ever do that again. <laughs> you know, do we, what was I expecting him to do, right? Lord, if it's you, let me walk on the water. All right. come so peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to jesus and every sermon you've ever heard about this story it's the same point when we're in crisis and we're praying it's a test of our faith but the test is are we going to keep our eyes on jesus because all of a sudden Verse 30, when he saw the wind, doesn't say the water, but the idea he's walking on the water. I thought it was when he realized that, oh, I'm walking on the water. This isn't right. It says he, he saw the, the wind. 
He was freaked <laughs> out by the wind. Yeah, one way or another, he was. And him. yeah, I want to say to him, Peter, that's not the most <laughs> of your problems. The wind is secondary to the fact that you're walking on water. When he saw the wind, now he's afraid. Oh, wait a minute. I'm losing control. I'm, I, I, I can't fix it. I can't solve it. I can't blame somebody. I can't borrow trouble. He began to sink. Pete, I never thought about this before. I wonder if he was like, <clears throat> hey, I want a Red Sea experience. Don't you split the water? Let's see that happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, I want I want to. I want to I want that dry land. <laughs> I want to start with the end of the miracle. He really must have been doubting because then we go down to 32 and he says, Truly, you are the son of God. It's like see, maybe I'm wondering if the wind went pushing that boat farther away. Oh. <laughs> and as soon as he saw that, he was just panicked. Yeah. As long as the boat was right there, it was yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then you, if you can reach out and grab it, you yeah. still have control. Mm -hmm. What is it like learning to water ski with a boom? <laughs> you know, you're not on the end of a rope. <laughs> you're just right by the boat. Um, I don't know. Uh, all of those are appropriate. But watch what happens. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. It never says he pulled him out of the water. Just in the boat. Don't know. They climbed. Don't know. Jesus took hold of him. He says when they climbed. So all Jesus did was take hold of him. And, and I don't want to press the metaphor. But I'm trying to learn that when I'm praying in crisis. I want Jesus to take hold of me. Whether or not he pulls me out of the water. I want his presence more than I want the right answer to my prayer. You know, Peter's prayer was to walk on water. But what he got was that Jesus took hold of him. Lord, I want to walk on water. Command me to walk on water. That was his request. What Jesus did was take hold of him. And when they got in the boat and Peter had a chance to look back at the crisis there was nothing about it that ended the way he thought it would. But when he looked back and saw what God did, how God did it, when God did it, why God did it, he worshiped. And I, I don't know. I mean, I realized that he worshiped him, but, but go back. He was, putting, he was putting Jesus to the test. And he says, hey, I want to walk on the way. I would love, Skip says he was putting Jesus to the test. I'd love to think that Peter was that intentional. <laughs> I think, it's not like he had a history of intentionality. I, I actually think Judas did. I think that when Judas started the betrayal, I think that he was trying to force Jesus to do a miracle, to be the son of God. But here, I think Peter is just going, it's yeah. it's a middle school boy going, that looks like fun. <laughs> I don't know. You know, we 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 don't know. This, not side, the first of, this time, side of heaven, we don't. Well, it's not the only time we've ever seen Peter jump in the water. No. I mean, right at the end. He seems to have a habit of wanting to get in the water with Jesus. Yep. 
that's fair. Maybe Peter thought this is it. This is the next level. If you know, if we kept they kept expecting Jesus, kind of like with Judas, the kept expecting him to do the next thing. And Peter's like, oh, we're walking on water now. <laughs> this is great. This, this is this is new. <laughs> What this is no, no, no. At the end when after Jesus had died and resurrected, um, he didn't try to walk again. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, but, he, he, but he jumped into where Jesus was and he made a feline toward him. I can't help but think that some of their worship was, what a day. Yeah. <laughs> we saw him feed 5,000 5, people. We saw him heal people. We saw him cast out demons. We saw him walking on the water. We saw him grieve. We we saw him deeply hurt over the senseless death of his cousin. What a day. And their responses to worship. 